expressed on the following broadcasts do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT, Take 12 Radio, or our affiliates. The opinions on this show should not be considered as medical, psychological, or professional advice and are those of the host, co-host, and guest. Take 12 Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Tony, Bruce, and the Monty Man. That's Ryan, and Bruce isn't here, though. Bruce is not here. Bruce is not in the house. Welcome to Take 12 Recovery Radio <laughs> with Tony. And today, our very special guest, Jack M. Hey, Jack. Good morning. Jack What's M. going down, brother? Another beautiful day in life. <laughs> Another beautiful day in life. Yes. Yes, indeed. Bruce, uh, for those of you uh, who are of the praying nature, uh, could use your prayers. He's... Uh, He's at uh, a medical center today. He's either being diagnosed in preparation for this to happen or it's happening today. I'm not sure. Um, But because of severe back and leg issues and so forth, they're going to be injecting him with some medication that actually kills the nerves because it's so severe. It kills the nerves. It's not pain medication. It actually destroys the nerve endings from feeling pain or sending signals. Signals? Signals? Signals. Signals. (laughs) That's still interesting, though. And very interesting stuff. So um, he's pretty happy about that. I don't know how happy he'll be after the procedure. Um, but he probably won't know how to walk after that. <laughs> yeah, he'll be back with us next week uh, if everything goes goes well. Uh, but Jack, Jack is here. Tony's here, and Jack is here. Yo yo. Good morning. And I'm known Jack. Gosh, Jack, how how close many years? To, close to thirty years. Close to thirty years. Oh wow. Yes. You said while. I didn't think it was that while. Yeah. <laughs> I was twelve. <laughs> you were you were twelve. Oh wait, no, thirty. Wait, I'm forty. Yeah, I was twelve when y'all met. Gee, will agree. <laughs> it's been, it has been close to thirty years. We used to go to church together. Yeah, I was twelve. Yeah, I would ago. have been twelve. Remember, you got to you got to get around Sorry. the microphone when you're talking to her. There you go. Oh, we have, I'm learning. We have brand new microphones. Yes, and thank you to the donor. We love you. We love you. We love you. I can't talk yet. And we'll keep you as anonymous at this point. <laughs> it is an anonymous donor. I've been sworn to secrecy um, because of the amount. These oh, mics sure. are extremely expensive, and uh, we were able to get them. These, these are the Sure SM7Bs. For so those of you out there that are. Privy to that kind of information, you know what I'm talking about. There's only one other microphone that is better, and that's the one that the EIB network uses, the golden microphone that uh, Mr. Rush Limbaugh uses on his talk show, which also many other talk- talking heads use. Oh. Um, but uh, this is the next step down from that, and we are very grateful for the donation. Our other mics yes. were beginning to go out on us. We'd had them 12 years. 
Whenever you send an electrical current through something on a regular basis, it wears on it. That's right. You said like sandpaper, huh? Like sandpaper, yeah. yeah. And so like the cables are all new. Mm-hmm. So we knew it wasn't the cables. And we were hearing crackling and crunching and all that kind of thing. So Mine would hum. Yours would hum. <laughs> all the time. Mine would Tony's hum. would hum. Ours would crackle. <laughs> Tony's would hum. No songs. No songs. <laughs> uh, so today's uh, topic, uh, using dreams, forced meetings, and coffee. So let me, let me explain. Using dreams, that's kind of self-explanatory. We're going to be talking yeah. about uh, a little bit of the science behind that. Um, forced meetings would be meetings that perhaps are court ordered or somebody in your family is giving you an ultimatum. Yeah. You know, you you go to meetings or you're out of here or, you know, where, in other words, any kind of meeting attendance that, you know, isn't of your own accord, let's say. Okay. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to close out with coffee. 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 Should 12 step meetings supply coffee? Believe it or not, there are meetings that have divided over that issue. Oh, ours have been one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a trip? Yeah. So should they supply coffee? In my personal opinion, they should supply cake and cookies and <laughs> <laughs> chicken nuggets. Um, so we're going to talk about all the chicken nuggets. Protein That's drinks. Protein drinks. Um, so uh, there, there's that. And uh, if, you're, if you're expecting us to keep it simple, well, good luck with that. <laughs> Especially with these three minds in the house today, oh Lord. Yeah, that that's right. Uh, before we do any of that, though, um, I want to talk to you about one of our shows that we did uh, like a week and a half ago. Uh, it was uh, the 26 top uh, songs. It's 26 countdown. Oh, yeah. Of the top drug and alcohol awareness songs of all time. And we did a show. It's two hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's got the history of the songs, who the songs by, what's what's the story behind them, and that kind of thing. And that is uh, on our Potomatic page. So if you go mm-hmm. to take twelve recovery radio you can hear that show, or you can just go to take twelve radio and click on follow us on Potomatic. Also, I I really want to give a, a, a shout out to William Borchert. Uh, William Borchert is the screenwriter. And author of the movie, My Name is Bill W. Mm. Uh, William has, uh, over the years, has become a very good friend of Take 12 Radios. Uh, and uh, he's just a tremendous guy. He also wrote uh, When Love is Not Enough, the Lois Wilson story, which was on, uh, I think, the Hallmark Channel a couple of years ago. Uh, maybe not the Hallmark Channel. There was some confusion about that. But that was excellent also. And Winona Ryder played Lois Wilson in that. Really? Wow. William, nice. William and his wife were very close friends with Lois, huh. uh, and he's just a tremendous guy. Well, his book, his new book, How I Became My Father, A Drunk, uh, is uh, the book of the month for July on the largest recovery chat room called In the Rooms um, in, in the world. It's the largest one in the world. That's interesting. And they got, they got uh, number one placement, and I just wanted to, to tell you guys that. If you'd like to get his book... If you'd like to get any of his books, uh, you can go to WilliamBorchert.com. That's William. His last name is spelled B-O-R-C-H-E-R-T.com. Awesome. Um, he was – if you've if you heard titles like this, Serpico, oh. Dog Day Afternoon, 
Bay City Rollers or Bay City Bombers. I can't think of the name. William will correct me on that. And many others, that's William Borchert. He, really? He's the one that had his fingers in all that stuff. Nice. And co-wrote, screen wow. wrote, that kind of thing. Just, just a heck of a nice guy. So th- there's that there. Uh, and then the other thing that I wanted to tell you about. Where is it? Oh, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> My friend uh, Brad Mercer uh, Rowe. Mercer Rowe, Mercer Rowe, Mercer Rowe, Mercer Rowe, uh, Brad Mercer Rowe. I'm going to give you the website right away. It's Brad Mercer Rowe, M-E-R-S-E-R-E-A-U dot com. Um, he wrote me the other day. He was on the show here uh, last year. Hi, Monty. I have infinite respect for your God-centered service and appreciate all assistance this year. We are on track with 289 teen champion participants to achieve our goal of welcoming 300 teens by 1231 2016 i'll tell you what this is about mm-hmm. it's a holy spirit guided interdependent adventure which requires many hands and hearts yours included i remain grateful for all assistance as we continue our measure manage approach to welcoming at least 25 new sobriety pledge participants teenagers nice. uh, each year since 2006 wonderful uh and so what you do is is you go to bradmercerow.com and you can sign the pledge. Your teenager can sign the pledge. And there you can also listen to the show um, that we did with Brad. It's called uh, uh, Laura's Story. And click on Laura's Mission on that website. Just click on Laura's Mission to hear the interview. And if you want to sign the pledge, just click on Sobriety Pledge. And, and what's the there. pledge for again? I'm sorry. Um, to, to abstain. Oh, nice. From mind-altering substances. Nice. Uh, awesome. L- Laura was his sister. Oh, okay. Um, Laura... Uh, was a vibrant uh, and, and love-filled human being who died at age of 46 due to physical complications mm-hmm. from a quarter-century battle with her enemy, the disease of alcoholism. She was able to maintain sobriety and confront her uh, previous denial demons in the final six months of her life, but sadly, it wasn't quite enough. And so in memory of her, yeah. uh, Brad uh, did this, and he he works now. You may think that 300 pledges isn't very many, but let me tell you what, Mm -hmm. one means all the difference in the world. Uh, And Brad is also a musician, and he's written many songs for television shows and movies, and we don't have time to go into them all, Mm -hmm. but he lives right up here in Portland. Uh, So Brad Mercero, B-R-A-D-M-E-R-S-E-R-E-A-U.com, and uh, have your teenager sign the pledge. Uh, but don't have them sign it just for the sake of signing it. Understand what the pledge is. Read the pledge, you know, with with your yeah. teenager, uh, if you are a parent or guardian or, or grandparent or whatever. Uh, well, I think I'm going to talk to Kylie tonight since you know she went through my my story with me and have right. her have her pledge. Yeah, good. So, yeah, good, good, good. It's very important to her. So uh, there, there's all that there. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna take our first break uh, and we're gonna come back. We're gonna do a little take twelve trivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll get into the topic, uh, this three-part topic for uh, this show. And uh, I think we're going to have some fun with this. I, I hope we will. Uh, using dreams, force meetings, and coffee. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey there. This is the Monty Man from Take 12 Recovery Radio. And I'd like to talk to you about Skywood Recovery Center. 
at Skywood, a residential treatment facility under the beautiful skies of Augusta, Michigan, they can help you rediscover your authentic self in recovery. You may feel like I have in the past, entirely helpless. You may be completely heartbroken, as I have been, over what addiction has done to you and to your family. But the friendly professionals at Skywood Recovery Center firmly believe that everyone has the ability to recover. They believe it because they have seen real healing revive the lives and hearts of so many who were once hopeless and heartbroken. To begin the mending of your broken heart, call 855-317-8377 or visit skywoodrecovery.com Skywood Recovery Center is a part of the Foundation's Recovery Network Hey guys, this is Richie Supa and you are listening to Take12Radio.com Recovery Talk and Positive Music And now And now It's the Quiz of the Week Yippee! <laughs> That's right everybody It's time for Take 12 Radio's Quiz of the Week, sponsored by that recovery magazine, the 12-Step Gazette. Visit their website at 12stepgazette.com. Now, here's the Monty Dance. Time to break him in, Monty. Oh, okay. <clears throat> oh, no, time to break him in. Breaking in Jack would take 12 break trivia. Break Jack in. Yeehaw. Here, here we go. Now, now, now listen, uh, do you even remember the bumper music at the very beginning of the show? Oh, yeah, the Candyman. The yes. Candyman. Yes. yes. And who sang and wrote the Candyman? The Candyman. <laughs> yeah. candyman. Part of the Rat Pack. That's right. Mr. Sammy Davis Jr., who hated the song, said it will never make it, and it just flew off the shelves. I didn't like the song either for a long time, but then it grew on me, just kind of like that one you were talking about. Oh, the uh, the happy song? The happy I song. For real. Happy yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah, yeah, it's just kind of... <laughs> so in, um, in celebration of candy, all right, we're going to do... Uh, a little candy bar trivia. Ooh. Okay. If you get it right, you'll either hear, or if you get it wrong. <laughs> did he really hate the song? Yeah, he did not like it. Well, he didn't hate it, but he just, he wasn't that fond of it. That's interesting. Yeah. You know what? I don't know if he wrote it, but he sang it. <laughs> How, can you really hate something you wrote yourself? I, I, I suppose so. Um, all right, and so there are uh, four questions and a bonus. If you get them all right, you get them all right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you don't want a car. Yeah, no car. All right, here's number one. What candy bar was this slogan made for that Bart Simpson used to say, nobody better get a finger on my... Oh, my God, right Butterfinger. Now. Yep. All right, you guys got it right. Butterfinger is Good the job. correct answer. Uh, only 94.7% of people got that answer right. For whatever that's worth. All right. Uh, the following slogan was made for which type of candy bar? The Great American Chocolate Bar. I'll give you choices if you'd like. Yes. Hershey, Baby Ruth, or Payday? I'd say Hershey. Hershey? What do you say, Jack? Payday. Payday? Jack says Payday. can barely hear him, though. Sorry. Payday, please. There you go. <laughs> 
What'd you say, Tony? Hershey's. Hershey. Okay, Tony's correct, Jack. Um, you get the proverbial. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. It was Hershey bar. Uh, number three, what candy was this slogan made for? Get the sensation. Cool mint. Is that a candy? Yeah, you're going to have sensation? to be more specific nope, than that. All right. Was it Hershey Chocolate Bar, Milky Way, or Peppermint Patty? Peppermint Patty. I'll go with that, too. You will? Okay, you guys are correct. Yeah. We almost gave you the first one, but not. <laughs> we're not going to do that. All right. So if you're going to face him, turn your uh, turn your mic so it's pointing towards you. Oh, I, I Okay. There you go. There you go. Sorry. We got we to retrain ourselves on these new I know new these new mics. They are beautiful, aren't they? I love them. They're just beautiful. <laughs> um, okay, here's your bonus. Complete this candy slogan. It's more than a mouthful. It's... <laughs> Tony. <laughs> Ignore the woman behind the curtain. It's more than a mouthful. It's... A big hunk. Okay, here's your choices. Mr. Goodbar, Baby Ruth, or whatchamacallit? Whatchamacallit, I don't know. Baby Ruth. <laughs> whatchamacallit is correct. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Jack. I didn't even think I got that one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't. Jack, you need to learn your candy better. So I don't <laughs> eat a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I don't either. But, you know, there we go. I, you don't have to eat it to know it, right? No. I don't think so. That just sounds like a bumper sticker that's wrong on so many <laughs> levels. All right. We'll be right back right after this uh, with our topics for this week. Don't go away. Free by the Sea is a drug and alcohol recovery center located in beautiful Ocean Park, Washington. This facility is amazingly gorgeous, but what's even more amazing is the integrity of the staff and the treatment provided for those wishing to recover from narcotic and alcohol addiction. The folks at Free by the Sea have a passion for presenting the solution to addiction for you or your loved one. To speak with an admission specialist, visit FreeByTheSea.com or call toll-free 800-272-9199. This place is simply amazing. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the show. <clears throat> what was that? It's Riders in the Sky. Riders in the Sky? Riders in the Sky mm. by the Outlaws. I want to be a cowboy. 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 Using dreams. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the first part of our three-part topic, using dreams. Ever had a using dream? Oh, yeah. Tony? Oh, yeah. Okay. Were were they uh, in close proximity to your your uh, sobriety date, or did you have them years later, or do well, you still the, have them? Or the one I actually had was just recently when I went up to Kylie's before I went up to Kylie's graduation. Yeah, and I couldn't even. I had, was really baffled if it was like real or if it was a dream because I felt so guilty because it it felt real. Then I was like, "What the hell." I'm here in Albany. <laughs> right. Where am I going to go to those places? But some of them can really freak you out. I mean, the details in those dreams, the people, the places that, you know, drugs Is it really alcohol, real? Some of them are really real? Yeah. Yeah. And that's how mine are. I don't get them often, but when I do, it's so real that I have to sit there, like, at 2 in the morning or whenever I wake up and be like, okay, 
discombobble my, you know, my brain. Discombobble your brain? It, does that make sense? Yeah. Does that even fit yeah. as the word? But, yeah. you know, yeah, you, you have to, like, sort through it to be like, okay, where am I? You know, am I here? Am I safe? Am I in jail? You know, kind of, like, sure. talk yourself down. Sure. So let, let hold the thought about I felt guilty. Hold, hold that thought. Jack, okay. what about you? Uh, using dreams ever experienced those? I've only had one using dream, and that was back about a year ago. And uh, it woke me up in the middle of the night. I was in a total panic-stricken mode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I realized I was home in my own bed, um, and I hadn't been using. Mm -hmm. And when I woke up the next morning to get ready to go to work, I replayed the dream in my mind and went, wow, this was so real, but I was thankful that it hadn't happened. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay, so you, you said you felt guilty. Oh, yeah, I felt guilty all day. Yeah. And I don't know why. I think it's because when I was using, I actually had to feel, like, try not to feel guilty mm -hmm. or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure why I felt guilty, but it kind of went away after a while. Right. After I figured out I'm home, I'm safe, I don't leave her to come over another two days, you know. Right. But I think it's just your um, your brain's way of reacting to the feelings, I guess, or mm -hmm. your vice versa or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, you're always going to have feelings of some sort. You're always going to feel guilty even if it's real or not because that's how you used to feel i think all the time well this is uh this is an interesting interesting article by charles gillespie uh and uh, uh the references to this so i so i can because this is just right to do this uh, brown s uh, from the book treating the alcoholic um chai s from dreams as a pronostic factor in alcoholism and progression of dreams of crack cocaine abusers as a predator of treatment outcome by Reed S. and Simon D. So I just want to put those out there because I need to credit them. But but listen to this article. Gene, uh, a client in treatment for substance abuse, came to my group disturbed about the following using dream she had the night before. And this is what she says. I dreamed I was in the cafeteria teaching other patients here how to chop lines of cocaine and snort them. Oh, wow. Though she laughed at her dream because of its ridiculous plot, she also wondered what it might mean, if anything, about her recovery. Mm. Uh, the purpose of this article, don't worry, it's not too long, um, <laughs> is to briefly, is to briefly uh -huh. outline some of the clinical research that has been conducted in regard to drug-using dreams in order to benefit clients like Gene. Uh, one study, a classic in the field of substance abuse treatment, demonstrates that alcoholics who dream about drinking during the course of treatment tend to achieve longer periods of sobriety. Mm -hmm. um, this finding suggests that clients who dream about the substances they are attempting to abstain from may be more engaged in the treatment process. In other words, these clients take their struggle with substance abuse seriously enough to dream about it at night. Interesting. Uh, in this way, the drug-using dream may be a positive sign in and of itself. So that's one study. Uh, however, a more recent study of crack cocaine addicts who dreamed about drug use demonstrates that dream content is also significant in predicting a positive treatment outcome. Over a 90-day period, clients who report a shift in their dream content from using cocaine to actively refusing the use of cocaine tend to achieve longer periods of abstinence. The findings suggest that readiness for change is reflected in dream content and that dream life can provide clients with an opportunity to rehearse change. For counseling purposes, the importance is not on the individual's dream, but the manner in which the dream content shifts over time. Wow. 
Yeah. Mm. Trippy. That is very, trippy. very, very I think trippy. for me it was a direct reflection of my uh, spiritual walk at that moment. I was having a lot of things going on, and uh, right. I got away from my spiritual walk. It um, manifested itself inside my dream state, and then was able to go back and look at it and go, okay, what's going on here? And Sure. That's my thoughts on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 can, I can understand that. He's a good Bruce Standard. A good bring, Bruce Standard? Bring the spiritual side. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, and let's talk about this some more after we uh, read this this other one, because uh, I think it's I think it's very yeah, very uh, uh, very on key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Uh, one particularly useful study of drug using dreams demonstrates that a client's subjective response to the dream is more important than the dream content in regard to predicting a positive treatment outcome. The subjective responses reported by clients fall into two main categories. One group of individuals experiences frustration that their dream isn't real and the second group experiences relief that their dream isn't real yeah understood yeah um and i would think that probably has a lot to do with what your spiritual condition is exactly uh the first group of clients could be described as having relapse pending dreams this group longs to re-experience intoxication and feels triggered toward drug use. Mm. The second group of clients can be described as having recovery-affirming dreams. This group wakes disturbed by their dream and feels repulsed from actual drug use. The clients like Gene, the act of dreaming itself may be a positive sign of engagement with the treatment process. Additionally, her own subjective response to the using dream may help counselors assess her actual readiness for change. And finally... If Jean continues to dream frequently about using, she can be encouraged to note any significant shift in the content of her using dreams, which ideally will reflect her commitment to recovery. Yes. You know, that's funny you say that about the counselors, about Mm -hmm. how they think. And it may be different now, so anybody who's listening, please do not take offense to it. But when I was in treatment, they had using dreams as not a the greatest thing more like acknowledging but not learning anything from it so listening to you and what you just read i'm like oh it can be used for a positive output yeah i never even thought about any of that because i wasn't programmed like that and here's the interesting thing we know that everybody dreams Mm -hmm. but not everybody remembers their dreams so a lot of people think well i don't dream no you do you do Mm -hmm. just that many don't remember or like there's some i remember and there's some night mornings i wake up like this morning, I, if you were to ask me if I dreamed last night, I'd tell you no. Now, I know I did scientifically, but I don't remember it. Mm. I don't remember it. We yeah. also know that the majority of dreams take place in REM sleep, which is usually not too many minutes before you wake up. Really? Yeah. They're not these long, drawn-out things. They're only a matter of a very Seconds. short period of time. Nice. Yeah. But in our, when we're dreaming, we think it's hours and that kind of stuff. But you only normally get into the REM sleep after about 45 minutes of actually being knocked out. Being, being yeah. Yes. Which is interesting because um, some people enter REM sleep really quickly. Some people, it can take 30 minutes, can take an hour. I mean, everybody. Oh, it takes a, me forever. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a little different, you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, I think there is something really something to be said about our spiritual condition. Mm-hmm. Um, because remember, we are in the process, those of us in recovery, we're in the process of changing the way we think or are leaning on God to change the way we think. Yeah. Because our thinkers broke. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is our brain. And we know that the back part of the brain never forgets. It learns very slowly, but it never forgets. And it says, deal with it the way you always dealt with it. The front part of the brain, 
<laughs> cause and effect, moral <laughs> issues, right? Says I touch the iron and I get burned and I don't do that anymore. But when we put substances into our body, the front part of the brain shuts down, you know, oh. and because it can't take too much damage. But the back part of the brain takes over and says, well, just, you know, Keep let's go have it. a good time. <laughs> give me more. Give me more. <laughs> yeah. So I, our back brain. So what I tell the guys at Adult and Teen Challenge all the time is, is what we're here to do is to keep the front part of the brain awake mm-hmm. and retrain the back part of the brain. I agree 100% with yeah. that. Yeah. And so if we're retraining the back part of the brain, mm-hmm. which takes a long time, um, but it starts the day you stop. That is true. That it's, is true. But your yeah. healing begins the day you put the bottle down, the needle down, the spoon down. It starts then, just like a diabetic. The healing stops, I mean, starts mm-hmm. the day they put down the candy bar. That's true. That is true. <laughs> it starts then, and it yeah. takes takes some time. So that's why we're always saying, uh, a lot of people are, are you know, I, I believe in working the steps rather quickly. But as yeah. far as application and imp- implementation of those steps, mm-hmm. that's a lifetime thing. you got to be doing that. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. No. Even in our our out of recovery, people are like, why are you still going? Because why do you take medicine for your diabetes? You know, you can't, you can't run today on yesterday's fuel. Exactly. Exactly. And the the problem with most uh, that I've seen, even when I first came back into the program is that I had to accept responsibility. I had to be really truthful and honest with myself and also with my sponsor that these are things I've done in my past. Right. And as long as I was not willing to accept that, I was going to go back to that in a heartbeat. But the day that I actually uh, finally acknowledged that I had a problem again and I had to accept that this is where I was at, and I reached out and said, God, help me, please. I can't do this on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a loaded 9 millimeter pistol ready for me to go bye-bye. And when I accepted where I was at in life and that things were going to get better, my life has increased day by day. Is it perfect? No. Is it great? No. But you know what? My life is good. Yeah. And I yeah. don't worry about the drugs and the alcohol using anymore. I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless uh, state of mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. Exactly. Amen. Amen. So, so if you have a using or drinking dream, mm-hmm. it doesn't devastate you. No. No. It reaffirms <laughs> where my spiritual walk is at and what I need to do to get back on that, on that track. But I think, I think, I think Tony, the, the fact that you felt guilty... Well, and I is, think is that's why, because it's I mean, never been reinforced as a positive thing. Right. So now I can look at it and be like, okay, at least I know what's going on now. Because I learned something today. Yeah. Just because I've been using Dream doesn't mean, like, I'm setting myself up for really loud. Okay, so let me ask you guys a question and be as honest as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. At any point in the process of recovery, did you ever try to get into a using or drinking dream intentionally? Huh? No. Okay, no? Jack says no? I don't think so. You didn't think so? No, my last uh, using times were absolutely scare me to death. And mm-hmm. all I have to do is go back to the last day when I woke up at 2.30 in the morning and the events that happened up to that point. I don't ever want to go back because there is no coming back for me. I will be right. dead within yeah. 30 days. So and Why would you want to put yourself well, in a dream I like noticed, that? I noticed that there was two kinds of people here they talked about. Uh-huh. One of them was the person that was disappointed that they woke up and were not capable of Oh, I forgot about use. that one. And, and I'm wondering if some people haven't actually, well, I'm going to take a little nap now. and Maybe I'll kind of try to get this dream Kind of like a natural high, but not using. Yeah. you know, I can't, I'm not going to use, but you know, maybe if I dream, dream it. Dream about it. Because we're kind of sick folks. You know, so <laughs> I can see that. 
I can see somebody doing that, and I will That's tell you why. Because there was a couple times I did that huh. early on in my in my recovery. Well, I can't use, but maybe I can dream about it. Huh. Um, and I never did, never did accomplish it. I I, I would. Uh, There'd be a syringe that was like a gigantic eyedropper, you know. I mean, it was. It was I can't even put my arms around it. The thing was so big, and the end of it was all broken off, like a broken piece of glass. Things oh, wow. like that. You know, I never could get to that place. Yeah. But I was never disappointed that that I actually didn't get high in the dream. That's one thing. I never was disappointed. I was always grateful that I didn't. That's crazy. And you know, what's funny about this? This is like the first time you get high, whether it be cocaine or marijuana, so on and so forth, or alcohol. You're always chasing that constant same first feeling yeah and with the dream state that's what you're trying to do again you are you're trying that to capture true. you're chasing the thing the, yeah you know, chasing the dragon interesting this is interesting it wow is interesting. i never even thought about that okay i need to put that out of my mind because i won't go to bed oh <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding totally kidding Tony just went to sleep i know <laughs> all right uh so if, if you have a story of uh, of using dreams that you think may be of, of interest to uh people please uh go to our facebook yeah, and it's uh, facebook.com forward slash take 12 radio, mm-hmm. the number 12. And uh, join our uh, join our, our our group, Take 12 Recovery Radio group, uh, and, and post it there. Uh, what we don't want you to do is to glorify using. Yeah, don't, don't, don't. But don't, don't, if don't. you've got an interesting story about that, please feel free to do that. All right, topic number two. Here we go. Forced meetings. Forced meetings. <laughs> now... There's a there's a lot of controversy around this issue. Um, uh, you know there there are dyed in the wool grumpy old timers, or I should say, bleeding deacons, mm-hmm. grumpy bleeding deacons that absolutely don't want any of those guys from treatment coming into these meetings. That's you know, um, or anybody that's court ordered because don't you know unless you want it yourself, you'll never get sober. Um, so there's that kind of attitude. The, there's another one that's totally on the flip side. It says treatment or you know the the solution to your addiction mm-hmm. issues whatever they are does not have to be voluntary to be effective that's actually a quote from a clinician that that i happen to agree with mm-hmm. because i i i've seen people that have gone to treatment or started attending 12-step meetings that were there and not by their own you know oh yippee yeah. i want to go you know and they recovered Mm-hmm. Um, the seed was planted, but not everybody agrees no. with that. So, yeah. what, what, is, what did your guys take? Jack, I'll start with you. Yeah, let's start with Jack. <laughs> start with me. Okay, <laughs> I believe a hundred percent that uh, there's times where no matter what you do, that somebody has to take you by the hand and guide you. And mm-hmm. court ordered um, admissions into these programs, whether it be a recovery program or not, sometimes that's what it takes. I mean, because there's a lot of folks out there that you can show them everything and say you're on your own, and they're never going to survive. And the other ones, they'll go to a recovery program, 90 days, and they'll come out and say, I'll give it 90 days. And they keep on going, keep on going. They get it programmed in their lives, say, there is something here. And they stick around, and they wind up getting 10, 15, 20 yeah. years of sobriety. And we hear those stories all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I know a couple of them right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> I'm baby new year in the room. <laughs> <laughs> but myself, I, uh, for me, recovery was not uh, going to uh, a 12-step program outside of AA itself. Going to a uh, drug and alcohol program was not an option I had. Sorry about there that. There you go. That's right. Uh, going to one of these clinics or something to that effect, uh, all the other ones that work, was not a thing that was going to work for me. This was, I right. had to go straight to the program itself, take for grant, um, 
the spiritual walk had to come first and foremost for me because otherwise I was going to be back out there and I was going to be gone. I'd never come back. Right, Mm -hmm. right. So, so Tony, what do you think about people that are court-ordered or given ultimatums by loved ones and that to go to meetings? Well, I'm one of those court-ordered ones. Um, I didn't want to get sober. I really didn't. Um, But uh, after time, you know, I don't even know when the seed was planted, but look where I'm at now, you know. Sure. And it's different because the way they teach what they – okay, let me say this correctly so I don't step on oh, toes. Oh, you can, you can step on toes on this what show. What they teach you in treatment mm-hmm. yeah. and what they teach you in AA, when you're new and you're done with one and just sticking to the other, you right. really have to, like, deprogram yourself to a point. I mean, and the seat. Depending I think on the is, meeting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you go to a meeting and you hear stuff, you're like, why didn't they tell me that? And they're, what the hell are you guys talking about? That's right. not what I heard. So you kind of don't pick what you want to hear to make your own program, but you have to just sit there and listen and just absorb everything. I did not hear anything for my first six months at all in meetings when I was done with uh, Serenity Lane. I didn't hear a thing. Did did anybody make the approach to you within that time to sponsor you? One person. And actually it was from group one. And it was actually the last time and um, right before I relapsed my last time. Uh And I'm still grateful for her. I still talk to her to this day. I love her so much and she knows who she is. But um, that's the only one who approached me. I think the last person or who's my sponsor now we met in treatment Mm -hmm. and I think if I didn't have her and we both kind of graduated treatment around the same time, like she helped me with the outside world. I think you need not, not just maybe a sponsor, but somebody close to you to help you figure out, okay, they say this here, but in AA they're saying something different and it is somewhat the same, but it's two different worlds, right? two different lifestyles. So, so, you know, in treatment, Mm-hmm. Because, and you know, the founders knew this also well. Mm-hmm. Before we were inundated with so many treatment facilities, we weren't like we were back then. Back then it was the insane asylum, you know, or a detox center and a rundown yeah. hospital, you know. Um, but they knew that many of us were going to need more help than just sitting mm-hmm. around drinking bad coffee. And they knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in the NA um, uh, literature, there's a statement that I really like. It says the therapeutic value of one addict helping another is without parallel. Mm-hmm. That is very, very true. Yeah. That is assuming that the other addict knows and has experienced the solution. Exactly. That is not saying two addicts sitting around using mm-hmm. are going to get themselves yeah. sober. But, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but so treatment. Treatment programs that are worth their weight, in my opinion, mm-hmm. have a 12-step model. Yep. Have a, at least a year aftercare model. Yes. You know, and they're not just calling you up and saying, are you sober? Yeah, no, that's how. I mean, they're seeing you eyeball to eyeball, yeah. that, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, they're on board with you mm-hmm. doing the meeting attendance thing. Now, we know that meetings by themselves aren't going to keep anybody sober any more than, you know, Going to the bowling alley and sitting around talking about bowling balls are going, you know. But mm-hmm. but we do know that there is a therapeutic value going on there amongst people of like mind. Yeah. True, yeah. very mm-hmm. true. Yeah. So we're not going to hear some of the solutions to maybe some of our co-occurring mental health issues in a twelve-step meeting. Mm-hmm. We are going to hear some of that at the treatment center. Yeah. And if the treatment center is being 
a compliant to the courts because the courts has, have ordered you to treatment mm-hmm. and said if you did not comply with treatment, you know, then we're going to violate you. And treatment says, okay, now you also have to attend these meetings and so forth. Yeah. There's a lot of people that get up in arms about mm-hmm. that, saying that you're mixing the government with, you know, so. But people are getting sober. People are staying sober and pe- lives are being changed. True. Oh, and that's true. And in Serenity Lane, they're amazing. They teach a lot of what, but I didn't mean they didn't teach anything at all because they helped me tons. And I still, like this Thursday, I'm going to go speak at a panel here in Albany. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm, they're my best friends. They taught me everything, Yay! you know, but they do have not only just state guidelines and, you know, federal guidelines, but they do teach you how to stay sober. It's to each person if they want to really adhere to that. Yeah. You know, and like when my counselor's boots still stuck up my butt and she knows who she is, you know, <laughs> Carol, I love you. And she, if it wasn't for her scaring the crap out of me the last time, right? she didn't scare me to be sober, but it made me start to listen in and hear what they're saying. Jack, what do you, what do you think is the reason that some <laughs> people get really uncomfortable when some, when they find out that somebody's there because treatment required them to be or a relative or a court did? Why do you think people get all up in arms about that? I think a large portion of it is the fact that you had to have somebody say, you're going to be here, and you're going to sit here for an mm-hmm. hour of your day, yeah. and you can be disruptive, and you're not going to take this serious. Yep. When you have a lot of folks that are in there because this is a life or death situation, yeah, and that this is the only way they're going to stay sober. Mm-hmm. These other folks, they come in, they don't care. They're there because they're being directed by a court or system, and they would just want to appease somebody, family, friends, the courts, yep. and the counselor. But those folks that come in on their own volition on a daily basis and spend the time, they do the walk, they put in the time in the books, they put in time with their sponsors, those are the folks that really want it. And eventually, sometimes those folks that come in by court order, they'll get it. They'll see a little bit of inspiration go, I wonder what that person has. Mm-hmm. And hopefully right. by setting a good example, they'll want to come back on their own. So if they hadn't have been there, even if they didn't want to be, they would never have the opportunity to witness what you just said. Correct. So exactly. it's a good thing they're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on where they want to go with it. If yeah. they're actually going to take it serious and don't want to go back out, that's it's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Lead by example. You, exactly. Live by example. You yeah. said a key word. You said sometimes. And I, mm-hmm. and I agree with that. Some, you said sometimes, you know, they don't care and so forth. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes they do. I, a lot yeah. of people have been court ordered. That that was just a condition of their probation, but they, they would have gone anyway. They really do want to be there, but mm-hmm. somebody finds out about their paperwork, yep. and they go, "Well, obviously, you don't want to be here because you're court ordered." No, not not so. You know, I mean, I was coming to meetings before I ever was court ordered, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I came on my own in Stockton, California, years ago, uh, but then there came a time when there was a relapse, and the court ordered me to. Um, but my wanting to be there didn't change. I did want to be there. Yeah. But as soon as somebody found out I was quartered, they made the assumption that I didn't want to be there. And they made me feel kind of, you know, like I, I started not wanting to be there because the way they were treating me. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness this is, you know, in the last 80 some odd years or whatever, this, this thing's been going on. Meetings have grown, you know, and you can pick another meeting <laughs> if you want to. It, uh, it was I was able to do that. Um, because I was living in Oregon and I had to leave a meeting and found the one that years ago, that's like the biggest one here in town. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but, but I've, I've noticed people, we kind of get a little kind of a haughty attitude sometimes, you know, because 
I'm putting a dollar in every week. Mm-hmm. I'm going every day. And by God, don't step on my right to be here because you're court ordered. Sometimes people can get like that. See, and I hope I never notice that in a meeting because yeah. <laughs> my Italian mouth can't stay shut sometimes. Well, you don't ever speak too much. Your hands are always doing the. I know. I always talk. <laughs> my hands talk for me. I, I honestly don't know what I would do if I ever saw that in one of our meetings. In all actuality, I love. I would the go folks, nuts. I love the folks that come in on their own. Yeah. And I love the folks that come in because they're court ordered because yeah. they they see and I've seen it time and time again. They come back like, I need this, but I don't know how to do it. And you right. take them by the hand and say, yeah. this is how I've done it. And you work with them. Yeah. And then you see the light shine and start to work. And, right. And you see them start to do the same thing you did, which my sponsor helped me do. Yeah. So so when you think about it, what is the percentage of people that literally woke up one morning and said this is what I voluntarily want to do with my life. Yippee, yaye, <laughs> cow patty. I want to go to an AA or an NA or whatever A meeting. That's what I'm doing it. I'm voluntarily going. I really want to go there. I'm so excited. I don't think there's many people that really wanted to do that. No. You know Less than mean? 1%. So whether it's a nudge of the judge or a nudge of maybe That's your own conscience or, or whatever, I fought it. My first meeting, mm-hmm. I went on my own accord, but I was fighting it. I was scared to death. I almost turned around and walked walked off before I walked in the door. <laughs> it was only by the power of a loving God that kind of gave me that nudge to get in there. But did any of us really, you know, <laughs> really choose to do this because we thought it'd be so much fun. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh at that. It's just every time I hear that, it's funny. Because you're right. There's nobody that wakes up saying, Woohoo, I'm going to AA. I'm going to NA. I'm going to treatment. Party on. Like, nobody does that. Who does that? No, I didn't. And wake- if you do, Facebook me because I would really love to know who you are. No, I don't think anybody ever wakes up saying, I'm an alcoholic and I need to go, or I'm an addict and I need to go to NA. It finally right. comes down to the point you have. For me, acceptance, honesty, saying, I need help. I could not do this on my own. Or and getting I, caught by the feds like me. Or, you know, the <laughs> yeah. drunk driving yeah. or all these other things and the chaos and total um, making a mess of my life. I mean, for my family couldn't control me. I couldn't control myself. didn't lose everything, but I did lose my, my children. I almost <laughs> lost my home. I'm almost, I've lost jobs. I've lost family. And solely through the program itself, I have been recovering my family. Yeah. And it's been a wonderful th- experience to have family say, hey, Uncle Jack, or um, to meet family you've never met before because I was never present. I was gone for so long. They didn't want you around. No. Yeah. I, did, I didn't want to be alone, around. I was alone. I was isolated. And I was terrified of what I was becoming. When I woke up that morning on my last using day or next day, I was terrified, and I was bewildered what was going on with me. I had the shakes. I had all these other complications going on, and it scared me to death. And I finally reached out and said, I need a helping hand. Yeah. This is where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it marvelous? Because we we can not only recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, mm-hmm. we can recover all sorts of things besides that. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, there was a book years ago called, Will the Real Phony Please Stand Up? And, Is there really? Yeah. And in it, there was a <laughs> statement that says, when you catch the ball outside of the end zone, you get the game the way it is, not the way it was. Yeah. And then it continued to say, because if you just leave it there, that's kind of depressing. Mm-hmm. And it says, the good news is you can get it back better. 
Yes. That sounds so familiar for some reason. Yeah. I probably hear it I've said it before. Probably. And, and, and the deal of it is, haven't you ever watched a game where your team was just so far behind, you mm-hmm. thought, you know what, I might as well pack it up and go home because yeah. they're done. And then something happens. And bam. <gasps> That's a good analogy. Yeah. They're they're way ahead of the the opposing team. I'm know? using I mean, that on my next sponsor. I'm using that on my next sponsor. Completely hopelessness. And, you know, I look at my house. I'm in the process of a complete remodel. And right. the 12-step program working my life is kind of the same way. Um, it's a complete remodel of the inside and outside and the spiritual walk that goes along with it. It's phenomenal. I mean, the things that are coming back to my life, I cannot believe. My life is better today than it's ever been my entire life. Not perfect, but you know what? It's better. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, the analogy of the house. Because mm-hmm. some of us would like to say... Um, you know that phrase, I'd, I'd rather, you know, see a sermon anytime than listen to one. Yeah. Um, but the truth of the matter is, if you're just doing the inside mm-hmm. and you're not allowing the outside to change too. Exactly. I mean, l- look at a house. Yeah. You could, you could remodel the entire inside, but the outside looks like a shack from the bayou. And then you judge. Who's going to want to hang out with that? Exactly. But it also goes back to laying a proper foundation. There you Without go. a proper foundation of... None of it's going to... Of, of the Bible and the big book, you're not going to have any of it. It's all going to fall the wayside, and it's going to be on sandstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. Topic number three. Coffee. Coffee. Oh, baby. Coffee. Now, I happen to enjoy my coffee. Um, I'm kind of a coffee hoarder of sorts. <laughs> I have my own grinder. I have my own, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, cappuccino machine. I have a cupboard. When I when I got my cappuccino machine, I took over one full cupboard in the kitchen I have without one of my too. wife's permission. He <laughs> does not share. <laughs> I have my own cup of my uh, cupboard of my K cups. Oh, do you? It has its own. Yeah, cupboard. yeah. Um, cool. So. So I will be honest with you, and I will tell you that I have been very disappointed on occasion. I mean, it doesn't ruin my day or, or my meeting when I've walked into my favorite 12-step meeting and they were either out of coffee or didn't have – I mean, it wasn't made yet or there wasn't any. I thought, oh, man. Because my just like my cigarettes used to go with my meetings years coffee ago, mm-hmm. coffee just kind of – goes with my meetings. You got to have the coffee. You, I'm sorry. You know, having said that, though, should 12-step <laughs> meetings uh, assume the responsibility of making sure there is coffee on board? What do you guys think? You know how much lashback we're going to get from this. Oh, one? I know. <laughs> Not of the first two subjects, but of the coffee. I think it's important because you figure you sat around drinking beers. Why not sit around drinking coffee? But is it the responsibility of the group to provide coffee? I don't think it's a responsibility. I think it's just been tradition. N- tradition. Thank you. Yeah. What do you think, there, but, Jack? Well, I think uh, tradition for one. But there's a lot of people come in. They're from coming out from the out out in the cold, and they want something warm. And they're probably been drinking too, mm-hmm. and allows them something to warm up their hands. And they listen to the meeting. And go, wow, there's something here. And they come back the next day still drunk. But <laughs> what I, what I've seen. It's kind of a tool, then. Yeah. It's a tool. It's a kind of like draw you in. And sure, the funds are there to help promote AA and the spiritual walk. And if coffee is one of those things that brings somebody back in, so be it. But what if I don't like coffee? I just like hot chocolate. 
Well, then you take a vote, go there, sit at the business meeting, say, let's buy <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Sit at a business meeting and say, let's provide cocoa also. Actually, for- actually, Group 1 usually has packets of cocoa yeah. somewhere, at least they used to, or tea. We have tea. We have coffee. Sometimes I bring cocoa in depending if it's on a good price or not because I do supplies. Right. So. so there are some people that say absolutely, and every once in a while this will come up in a business meeting in whatever meeting you go to, I guarantee it. Somebody will say, you know what, I don't think, I don't think. You know, we're hurting for literature. We're not going to be buying coffee this month. I get mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Because the program, which is the literature, is the most important piece. Yeah. But as far as, you know, material objects go. Mm-hmm. But I kind of think, I'm kind of thinking along the lines of you guys. I, I kind of think it's a it's a very, well, tradition, and it's a very useful tool. Mm-hmm. Whether it's tea, coffee, cocoa. I think it is a useful too. I, I'd hate to see a meeting go without coffee. And I, I've sprung for coffee before. Oh yeah. I brought a case of, of you know, Folgers in, like what is it, six cans or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody can do that. And I mm-hmm. certainly can't all the time, but I've done it before. Yes. Yeah. And I do it for both my meetings I go to. I bring coffee all yeah. the time. The other one, they don't fund me, but I don't care. It's not much at the – okay. It's called the Grocery Depot, but I call it something else. I go to, I go, I, I go to Grocery Outlet Farm uh, – no, how does that song go? Grocery Outlet Bargain Market. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I they, think, it, I think coffee is not mandatory, but it could be that one thing somebody hasn't had all day, like a meal or you know a beverage, you know, something yeah. just life-changing. As little as coffee can be that. Jack? But it also falls in the same category as tissue. I mean, we have boxes of tissue at Albany Group 1 here uh, that are available for anybody to use. When you right. start crying and or you're sniffling, should we have to provide that? Right. Kind of falls in the same category so as coffee. Of a, it's, kind of, it's kind of a, um, um, what's the word? Kind of like the men on the pillow in the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's kind of a courtesy. Yes, it is. There you go. That's a good word. Yeah. Courtesy. What's wrong with a courtesy? Nobody likes it you these know. days. Although I was in a meeting not too many years ago. Somebody handed somebody a Kleenex and somebody got all upset about it. <gasps> because I guess it's a treatment in some treatment, not all, but it's a treatment thing that if you hand somebody a Kleenex when they're pulling snot all over the place and tears are coming out of their eyes, you interrupt the grieving process. And I'm like, you know what? What? I'm not a medical professional. That's I'm not, crap. you know, I'm a, I'm a registered interventionist, but I, I'm not, a, I'm not a licensed CABA counselor. I'm not going to tell you that. Horse pucky. You know, I'm like, I'm like, if I'm, if I can't <laughs> right. clean up my nose and my ears, please, somebody hand me a tissue. I want to meet some of these people uh, who say some of this oh, stuff that I comes know. out of your mouth because like, I'll be like, really? And not even in our treatment center did they ever think that way. That baffles me. The thought of some people just baffle me. Baffle, baffle. Oh, God. Lord. I'm going to need a meeting um, so, after this. So, so bring on the coffee. Now, there, there, are, there are actually, I, I've actually heard this, not much, but a little bit. Well, you know, coffee is a drug. Yeah, I've heard that too. You know, I mean, where do you draw the line to of ridiculousness, though? You know what I'm saying? I think people reach sometimes. Oh, they just gosh. want to be the preachers and hear themselves talk and just. I think people reach. Dude, like, now, just stop. I, I will tell you. <laughs> There's in, enough. In my energy drink days. See that I was sitting. I was sitting in a meeting, and he wasn't my sponsor, uh, Dave B, uh, who I've known for a long, long time. He's a real estate agent, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, was sitting next to me, and I had these two Joker called Joker energy drinks, and I would bring two of them, the big tall ones, every night. Mm-hmm. 
I, it, it became a habit. And I'd bring them, and I'd drink both of them. And one day he just wrote on a matchbook cover, and he slid it over to me, and I opened it up and says, are we drinking for the effect? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Busted. Yeah. Sugar addiction. Yeah. But aren't we drinking for the effect when we drink coffee? Yeah, true. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you are. Maybe tomato, you are. Maybe tomato. you're not. Maybe you really do enjoy it. The taste of bitter beans. See, I, I, I I'm not, I'm not kidding. Maybe yeah, no, 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 because I am one of them. I love coffee. Right, I love coffee too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as long as it's good coffee. Yeah, yeah. As, as long as it's good. <laughs> not everybody's drinking coffee to get a buzz. Some people no. drink coffee because they like the coffee. Yeah. I don't know. We we could open up a whole other can of worms there. Somebody could start saying that about like the beer NyQuil too, issue. But, yeah, NyQuil. that's a different. <laughs> NyQuil comes with its own shot glass though, and they do sell it after two a.m. Okay, I will say I tried that <sighs> once. Never again. In my late drinking days near the end, I tried that once and I threw up and I'm like, how can anybody do that? <laughs> that horrible. I got my taste horrible. of that. I got my taste of that when I was in the military because <laughs> we were in basic training and they allowed us to go to the commissary to pick up a few items and yeah. night cool and we've been six weeks without anything and I'm like, okay, so I bought three or four bottles of it and down them oh my Nasty stuff. Wow. You're a rock star, buddy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. So uh, don't forget the 26 top drug and alcohol awareness songs of all time. It's a countdown. It starts with number 26. It goes to number one. It, it's a great show. Go to take12radio.com and click on follow really us on Podomatic. Show. And uh, it'll be there. Uh, also, uh, don't forget to go to William Borchardt's uh, site, William Bio. R-C-H-E-R-T dot com and uh, check out his site all about his uh, his movies and his book How I Became My Father a Drunk uh, the featured book in July for, uh, on In the Rooms uh, check that out and please uh, go visit Brad Mercero's uh, website and uh, sign the pledge at B-R-A-D-M-E-R-S-E-R-E-A-U dot com and get your team to sign the, the uh, sobriety pledge there um, all right, our song for this week uh, is by my friend Jeff Bates. Oh. And uh, this this is an amazing song. Um, see if you can pick up, see how early you pick it up, um, who he's talking about here. And we're going to close out with this. Check it out. It's called He Wasn't Like Us. We didn't know for sure, but everybody said That old boy ain't right in the head, he's a little slow We'd hide in the bushes, not making a sound When he'd walk by, we'd push him down on that dirt road I was just as guilty as my friends We had a lot of laughs at his expense He wasn't like us He wasn't cool He'd just smile even while we were being cruel He stood out He didn't fit in But we kept throwing the stones, no, we didn't let up on him. 
He never said a mean word, no, he never even made a fuss. He wasn't like us. Later on, he made a name in our town for hanging out and running around with the rough crowd. They were boozers and losers and low-class broads, but he saw good in them nobody else saw when he brought it out. Then the rumors started flying that he was some kind of holy man. But we set him straight and told him to his face he was a crazy man. He wasn't like us. He wasn't cool. He just smiled even while we were being cruel. He stood out. He didn't fit in. But we kept throwing the stones. No, we didn't let up on him. He never said a mean word. No, he never even made a fuss. He wasn't like us Well, I remember the day he got in trouble with the law They cussed him and kicked him and mocked him and whipped him Then they nailed him to the cross He wasn't like us He didn't fit in And I fell down on my knees well for him He never said a mean word No, he never even made a fuss He never did nothing wrong All he ever did was love He wasn't like us He wasn't like us Special thanks to Jack for joining us today. This is the crew wishing you God's perfect serenity for each and every one of you. Bye-bye now. This has been a broadcast of Take 12 Recovery Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.